0: Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Standing Alone podcast. Um, Checking quite a lot these days with all the uh, midweek games. uh, Not getting any easier, I must say, with all the uh, mm, stuff that's going on at the moment around the club. Not exactly uh, lots of positivity to talk about. Um, We'll recap last night's game. I watched it back. Yeah, I'm not sure if I feel any differently about it than... Most other fans do I'm not too sure. I'll sort of try and formulate my thoughts as I go on. Um, this will review last night, we'll review a couple of League One games that happened because there was two more that also happened, including one that affected the Alex, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, we'll have a look at what happened as well. Um, and then we'll see what might lie ahead in the next few days for the club. So, then, team for this game. I called for a three five two, but seeing him go four three three I really wasn't that fussed to be honest it's you go three five two you square pegs in round holes in, in things, and perhaps to a lesser extent you're doing that in a four three three because you've got a rear in and an offered who can be the center backs um wackquin alibiosu who can be the uh, wing full backs, so I suppose it does look a little bit better um but of course the the issue with that is, as we've talked about before, is opening yourself up to your, t- your central defender's getting isolated completely. Thankfully, that didn't happen in this game. The Alexis shape was much more compact and tight. Um, so, and I suppose that's the thing, like, you look back to the Plymouth game. You know, Gillingham happened a few times, but nothing really major. I suppose you look back to the Plymouth game and you think to yourself, what happened there then? Why were they opened up? I suppose they were, but let's remember also, suppose, you know, even I need to remember back and think, well, hang on, those goals didn't come from the centre-backs getting isolated. It came from keeper mistakes. The first goal was a header across the box that the keeper should have been screaming and coming for. He didn't. Ball bounced across the area and it was a tap-in. You know, from a long ball into the box. Second one was the keeper making a good save, but it bouncing right up, back up into the air and him not grabbing the ball. Third one again, him missing misjudging one and it could recycled them back out to Hardy, who smashed in the corner. Fourth, who cares? Yes, it was an isolation with Hardy on Sas Davis, but that was the game was gone at that point, so who really cares? So I suppose maybe that's like a one off. I don't think so, but I don't know. But anyway, makes sense for the centre-backs, I suppose to be those two. I don't know if it makes sense to put Johnson at right centre-back or I suggested Alibiosu could switch inside, but he's probably never played there, so that's not ideal either. So I suppose the four thirty three will have to do for now until Williams is back fit. If he does get back fit, we talked about uh, Sass Davis, I, think my, I don't know if I mentioned in my preview with him being out with his deep vein thrombosis. He's out for the season now, so that leaves them even more short. Um and this is essentially the problem you've got, isn't it? The Alex had four centre-backs on the books to start the season. Daniels, Thomas... Well, I say start of the season, Thomas wasn't... Yeah, you get the idea. Thomas, Daniels, Offord and Sass Davis. Okay, that's a perfectly reasonable number. Now, again, Thomas, down tools, wasn't interested. Daniels, nice lad, but he wasn't good enough. But the Alex made a choice to release those two players... Knowing that Williams was out in injured, he had his gastroenteritis. If that's what it is, We've, I've seen suggestions that's what he's got. So, is that what he's got? That meant he's out. But again, we're also talking about Williams like he's a contracted player. He's a first year scholar. He's a second year scholar. Sorry, seventeen years old, not eighteen for the month. Connor Reardon did pretty well in this game. I thought we'll talk a bit more about individual players later on, but. He's 18 years old, he's only a few months older than Sas Davis, uh, Sas Davis, Williams. Second year scholar, these are the players we are relying on in centre-back, because the club decided, rightly or wrongly, to release Thomas and Daniels. And I can understand why they did that, but they also knew that if they weren't able to get a centre-back in, they were one or two injuries away from having basically no centre-backs. Now maybe you don't. Maybe releasing Thomas and Daniels wasn't the wrong. It wasn't wasn't the wrong decision. I don't think anyone can really say it wasn't. But I don't know. There's something to be said for releasing players, good or bad, and them not having a replacement lined up to go. According to Artel's press conference, which I did indeed miss, uh, I think in my preview on Monday. They have tried for different centre-backs. They've, tried, they've asked four different players, interestingly who the four are, but they've asked four different players if they're interested. All said no. Of course they've said no. Why on earth would they want to attach themselves to this sinking ship? It makes no sense. Even a deal to the end of the season to get themselves fit. I think they'd just rather wait until the summer and see what's out there and take a trial at another club. Why on earth would anyone attach themselves to this? this? It's like people climbing back on board the Titanic after they've gotten a life raft and got off. That's essentially what it is. Nobody's going to sign for this club. Apparently they've got us defender in, but I think as Artel mentioned, this guy, they're looking at each other, sort of like seeing if there's a fit there. That might even pan out. And even if it does, this guy, whoever it is, is going to be lacking fitness. He's not going to be ready by the sounds of it for several more weeks at least. It's too late by then. If you sign the player by mid-March, then it's too late. Well, it's too late anyway, but still... With 15 games to go, you could say, or 14 games, whatever it is now, you could say, "Oh, there's a half a chance that they could come in, make an impact, and the Alps could win a few games." But if it's not going to happen until March, April time, then what's the point? Just don't bother. Just find some under 16s to put in there. Jesus, this—it's just a shambles. How can it? How, and this is the problem. Unfortunately, this is the problem. The club have made for themselves, and has made, and the board have made. Unfortunately, managers make mistakes. Look at Steve Evans, classic example of that. He makes mistakes on signings all the time. And what does he do? He basically tries to cover those mistakes with signing more players and more players. Now, I'm not saying the Alex can go out and sign 10, 15 players a season mixed between the August and January transfer windows. I'm not saying they can do that. They haven't got the budget. But the fact is, it costs money to put a team out in League One. And this is what the Alex don't seem to realise, unfortunately. And this is what they need to realise, They make money on their players, but that money doesn't get reinvested into the first team. Yeah, they might have given him a a budget that's not uh, on par with other smaller teams, but look at what other teams were signing around the Alex. They were paying fees for players. And I don't just mean Dana Dana Jai fees. I mean actual fees, signing John Marquis from Portsmouth, if you're Lincoln, trying to bring in some genuine quality experienced players. And the Alex are unwilling to go to those levels, and that's fine, but then they cannot be surprised when the team struggle. And and they can't be surprised if the fans turn around and say, you know what, screw this, I'm out. If you're not going to show the same level of investment that I show, then why why am I bothering? And I'm not saying the board don't put in money to the team. They clearly do. They clearly still fund things and cover losses here and there, even if the accounts show a a positive... Rate I, that could well be a one-off, and I'm sure the board will have to start putting the hands in the pockets to cover losses. But I just think they're running the they're running the luck with this cycle. It's going to run out eventually, and and they're going to run out of good players to find. Four years ago, we were having the same questions about always oh, the new wave. Good enough is is the Kirks, the NGS, the Pickering's. Are they good enough to come into this team and do well? We were answered positively. Now we're looking at players that are not even signed yet and thinking, okay, are the next round of players going to do it? Are they going to be able to step up in League 2 and perform? Um, eventually, they're going to get a wrong answer and they're going to go out of the league. Because the Football League is takes no prisoners. Nobody cares if the Alex play the right way or do the right things or have a great academy. Nobody cares. They they go down, nobody will bat an eyelid. Nobody will be sorry to see the Alex go. And this is where the board needs to step up and think to themselves, Is this centre-back pairing, is this centre-back group that we've got now sufficient? No, it's not. Maybe let's give Artel some more money to find a better centre-back. It's probably too late by now anyway, so maybe that's what they decided. Maybe they thought, you know what, we can't do it in January, forget it. Just don't bother. But then you can't potentially blame the manager when he's rolling out second-year scholars. But again, this all comes down to his own initial mistakes in signing Thomas when he clearly wasn't interested, signing Daniels when he clearly wasn't good enough. Two year deal, <laughs> boy. Yeah, so this is what you left with the in and offered. Yes, Sass Davis's injury is unfortunate. Yes, um, Williams, these aren't even football related injuries deep vein thrombosis, gastroenteritis. It's they're not even football injuries. That's the heartbreaking thing. It's not like they pulled a hamstring or did their ACL, not stomach problems and issues with their legs and the veins in the legs or arms, wherever it is for Sass Davis. <laughs> Unbelievable. It really has been one thing after another with this club this year. And I suppose that is a, a point to defend Artel on. Yeah, look, I still think he probably should be sacked. Six eight defeats in a row, you can't defend that. Was it 20 defeats now, something like that? 18, 19, 20 defeats. Yeah, 20 defeats now. Most, Second most in League 2, in League 1. <laughs> we'll be League 2 soon. It's shocking. It's utterly, utterly shocking. And there's lots you can take blame for, but... The amount of injuries and illnesses they've had to this squad has been off the charts. Lowry, where was Ollie Finney last night? Was he ill as well? Was he, is he now ill? Wouldn't surprise me. I think almost every player in this team has been ill, and not even with COVID either, just been ill in general. They haven't even had any COVID case, I think, since the summer, or since early in the season when they had the Oxford uh, game when I think they had to isolate a few. and oh, no Sorry, it also as well around uh, December time when Long had to isolate. So, yeah. Midfield, what can you do? Griffiths, why is he starting? Why is he starting? I'll go into him a bit later, but oh my lord. Cut the ties, seriously, with some of these lads. Cut the ties. It's funny how he he doesn't rate Lundstrom and he won't start him under any circumstances, yet players like Griffiths and Murphy get game after game after game. Ainley gets a game, Finney gets a game. Lundstrom, not a chance. Yeah. Anyway, Lowry... Was back in the team, thank God. Murphy was there. Ajay Long and Sambu fed off scraps all game. Long claimed closest to scoring, whistled a shot just wide. That goes in, nil nil. Maybe it's a different game. Probably not. We can probably just step it up and go and win. Um, Long was the only one that looked lively and that looked lively up front. Ajay and Sambu didn't really get any service at all. There was no support from me with fullbacks. Um there was no support from midfield. They just really just were there. They were warm bodies on the pitch. Adjai was in the game more. Um Sambu barely touched the ball. Didn't can't really say anything good or bad he did. He was just there. Um Yeah, so that was your team. Wigan pretty strong. I was surprised at how strong they actually went, actually. They had most of their main players starting, Langean, McGuinness. They started G1 Edwards instead, and then perhaps someone like Kerr or Shinney, um, which might have raised a few eyebrows. Um seemed that a lot of their fans before the game wanted Stephen Humphreys to start, and after watching McGinnis have one chance and do not a lot else, I can see why they perhaps wanted um, Humphreys to start, because he certainly looked quite lively when he came off the bench, but perhaps that's the role that um, Liam Richardson wants for him. So yeah, Wigan had a very, very strong team, strong as they could as, pretty much full strength which did surprise me a little bit with their game on Friday coming up he did think they would rest a few more but given they made such hard work of this game because they did um, perhaps he was justified in starting this team so yeah strong team for Wigan patchwork again from the Alex but yeah what can you do so what to make of this game then Hmm. well I would say first half it wasn't an even half Wigan had more possession, they definitely had the better chances, but I would say that the chances Wigan had, mostly from set pieces, and to be honest, most of them were chances that I would expect Richards to save. Yeah, they say, oh, he saved this, and he said, yeah, the saves a keeper should make. They weren't top corner, bottom corner, great tip-outs, or it wasn't wonder saves. Most of them were either straight at him or in an area where the keeper should be getting his hands to it and should be punching it out. If any of those go through him, it's another one of those Aquinton fourth goal moments where you're thinking, what the hell are you doing, Richards? That shouldn't be going in. So, yeah, he made the saves, but they were all, to me, expected saves, not ones I expected him to concede from. And that was, I suppose, the thing that they did well. Set pieces remain a massive concern. I don't know what the hell they're doing. It was the same exact issue on Saturday. They line up level with the Wigan players. Wigan players are on the shoulder, the ball comes in, the Wigan players have got a, a yard on each of the Alex players, and they've got four or five players queuing up to score. It was the same against Akrington, nothing's changed. Like, understand what's happening and drop them off a couple of yards. Don't give them all that space. I understand you're trying to catch them offside, but don't. Sit them on the edge of the penalty spot, give them less room to attack into. Give your centre backs, give your defenders a chance to actually get a rebound if it comes out, if it is that. But I just don't understand what they're doing, lining up that way. Drop them the goal side of the play of the players they're marking. It happened time and time again on Saturday. That was how the second goal happened. Like, what are you doing? It doesn't. This is this is how you defending. Is this how Artell would have defended? Was it? He was never the quickest of centre backs in his day. That's how he wanted. That's how he's telling his team to defend. Are you serious? They could have conceded any one of those goals had Wigan's finishing been better. They probably should have been behind. Again, standard saves from Richards, but they were very much lucky that the finishing wasn't great. Very lucky. Again, as I said, Long had a... They had a 10-minute spell between, like, it minute 10 and minute 20, where they had a, Wigan a little bit on the back foot, and I mean a little bit. They had a few mo- moments around the penalty area. Long whistled one wide, as I said, at 0-0. That goes in, maybe different game. Um few other half chances but most of the chances came in that first half i can't think of any in the second half that they had that were really even worth talking about um talking of um things in the first half what on earth is happening with the right back spot i um it's staggering you've got since perry and g let they like some let's, let's get back up sorry but over the last 10 years, the Alex have been pretty well stocked for right-backs. Let's just be honest, they have. They've had Matt Tootle in, from like 9-10, 11-12, 12-13, although to 14-15, I suppose, when he left. I know he sort of lost form towards the end, but still he had a pretty good run in the team. Calvin Mellor was okay for a little while. Oli Turton, I know he got a lot of slit stick from the fans, but I thought he was a very solid player overall. Look at where he is now at Huddersfield. I know he's not playing all that much, he doesn't seem, but he's in the championship still. So you can't really question him too much. But he had a good run in the team. And then Perry NG comes through. And he did well in the team. But when they sold him last January. I I swear he put a curse on the spot. I really do. Because the bad luck. And the run of players they've had. Playing at that spot. Over the last year. Has been staggering. They've tried Travis Johnson out there. He's been hit and miss, more miss than hit, but there's been a few times where he's looked solid enough, but doesn't look like he's got enough quality to really be a good player for the Alex. They signed Billy Jones on loan, three games in, got injured, never came back. I don't think he's got a club yet. They tried Donovan Daniels out there, didn't work very well. They tried, I think I said to say, Luke Offord out there. He's not worked very well out there. Obviously, they can't put him out there now because they've got no other sense backs. Then this season, they signed Kane Ramsey. He did well for about 10-15 games. Then he got injured. At the exact same time, Travis Johnson got injured. Rio Adabisi had to step over there. Then they've signed Ryan Alibiosu. And he got injured 15 minutes into yesterday's game. And went down and went off. Who knows how that... Knowing the Alex's lot, that'll be season ending. I'm not trying to be flipping or joking about it. I hope it's not. I hope he recovers fine for Saturday. And didn't look super, super serious. But you never know with these things. They could have torn a muscle or tweaked something or broken something so you don't know these injuries they look innocuous and you turn out oh crap they've done themselves for three months and that's it they're out like Billy Sass Davis that came out of nowhere so fingers crossed it's not but again Ryan Alibiosu out now they've got like, Callum at right wing back they've had Mikael Mandarin at right wing back they've had Scott Kashkate at right wing back it's been an underrated issue with this team in terms of where the weaknesses lie it's everywhere, let's just be honest, it's everywhere. There's not enough creativity, There's not the midfielders aren't good enough, the defenders haven't played well enough, or some of them anyway, the keepers are not good enough, but the full-backs I think have definitely been a big area of weakness, especially, and they've been the perhaps the biggest downgrade, I think. In terms of what the Alex had last season compared to what they have now, it's been one of the biggest downgrades. They've not had a stable right-back for a year now. I hope they they manage to find a right-back in the summer. And I say a, a long-term right-back. I don't just mean loan a one-in. Because this is the third time they've had a stab at loaning a player. And it's gone the same way each time. Injured, injured, in, injured. Will this one be any different? Hopefully not. Hopefully, sorry, hopefully it will be different. But, yeah, the right-back spot has been a sore point all season. And to be fair, even the left-back spot... Adabisi McFadden, yeah, makes me sick thinking about him. Adabisi, not performed well there all season. Is he a good? Is he really as good as we all think he could be? Well, I think he could be, perhaps not. But again, that's been one of the biggest downgrades and one of the biggest issues in the team. The backs slash wingbacks have been dreadful all season. Whether it's getting injured or they've just lacked form or whatever it is. It's been a real problem position all season and there's something they need to seriously address in the summer, especially at right back. Perhaps you give BC another go at left back and say, look, you're our left back, don't worry about it, you've had a bad season, bounce back next season. But they need to find a long-term right back and not cut corners by signing low knees because it hasn't worked out at all. So yeah, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Uh, what happens uh, with Adobis um sorry with them um, whether he's out long term or not. So Johnson came on. And again, not much else happened in the first half. We could probably say they deserve to be ahead. But I suppose not many would have said I think maybe not many neutral observers would have said, Yeah, probably nil is just about a fair result, and I mean just. Second half then, so you've worked hard, you've kept it to nil nil, you're approaching the hour mark, you think, okay, we're doing all right here. We're doing okay. We're defending pretty well. We're going to, until that point, I don't think it had many chances, if if any. So okay, they're doing fine. But it doesn't matter how well you defend for 57 minutes. If you're going to concede a goal like the first goal, you're going to lose games. Every single week, you're going to lose games. It's as simple as that. It's not even a difficult goal. It's just a simple cross into the box... And none of them deal with it. And Callum Lang has a free header. A free header. He got a yard I think it was a whack way, really that probably should have been the one to deal with him. Um uh, he got a yard on him. It would look like he was the one uh, marking up and dealing with it. Um got a yard on him, simple header into the corner. Richard's not his fault, couldn't do anything about that. Um <coughs> Yep, yeah, pulls a yard off him, nobody close to him and he gets a simple goal it's not good enough and you know I know Wackway's 22 he's only just come into the team last few weeks it's just not good enough what do you think teams like in League 2 won't be scoring goals like that of course they will they've got big giants everywhere you look of course they'll score goals like that League 2's better than people give it credit for at times just going down to League 1 from League 1 to League 2 isn't going to suddenly make these players into promotion contenders those are the kind of goals you can't concede at the, any level of the game it's just so simple it really is after that let's, let's just call it what it is the whole game was just dull flat lifeless got a bit more lively once Wigan got the first goal but the Alex never really pushed at all in the second half Um it was just petering out Wigan got a second James McLean um, Got a bit of space on the right again. The Alex's right-hand side. What was I just saying about the right-back curse? Got a bit of space on the right-hand side. Hit it, deflected it in. Whatever. It's the way. It, it's the they're, the they're the bounces you don't get in League Two, in League One, when you're down there. What can you do? It's just, yeah. It, it the whole game was just flat and dull and lifeless. But again, like a lot of the criticism I saw was, oh, the players have got to hang their heads in shame, the players have got to admit responsibility and you know take couple of, take responsibility for how they're performing. Yes, I, I would agree with that. You can't just blame the manager and not say it's everybody else cause it's everybody's fault. It's everybody's. From the board, to the manager, to the coaches, to the players. It's everybody's fault. Now, at what degree do you give out responsibility to this person or that person or this group or that group? That can be debated. Yes, the players do have to hold some responsibility. But again, look at the team that they're starting. Dave Richards is not good enough. Yes, he had a solid game yesterday. I'm not doubting that, and that'll i will say, Oh yeah, Richards is a good enough No, he's not. No, he's not. Because there was a moment in that second half where he punched the ball back out where he had made a save and he spilled it back out and they couldn't get it clear, and I am not saying the goal would have been because of hit, a goal would have been because of him, but another instance of where you can't hold on to the ball. He has weaknesses just like Yaskalinen does. Let's not pretend that he's magically the better keeper. He had a solid game yesterday, don't doubt that. He made a lot made plenty of saves, again, most of the saves he should have been making. But he he was fine, but he's not good enough. Let's not pretend that one solid game makes him good enough. Let's not forget the Accrington fourth goal. That's the kind of goals he concedes. Alibiosu, twenty years old, four games into his professional career. You're blaming him saying you're not good enough, you need to do better? That's not how player development works. You can't criticise someone like that. Well, you can, but you've got to be careful how you do it because you don't want to destroy the confidence of the lad. He's clearly a very talented player, otherwise he wouldn't be on in Arsenal system. But he's not going to be... Um, You you can't destroy his confidence by ripping him to shreds and saying, oh, you're not good enough. Well, what did you expect from a 20-year-old? He's learning the game. A Reardon, 18 years old, a scholar. You can't destroy him either. He's not even signed a professional contract, and you're asking him to perform in League One. Wonder well, how many other teams in League to, in League One have rolled out their scholars? Bet none. Not for a league game. Not to start games either. Maybe yeah. Maybe they've brought on some of these lads for like ten, five, ten minutes in a, in a game when they've been a bit short. But you can't tell me that some of these lads have been starting as regular as Williams and Reardon have. Offered, yeah, definitely, yeah. He can take some blame. For sure. grey new signing. Does he get a lot of blame for how things have gone? I don't think so. Griffiths, is it his fault he's not good enough? Is it his fault he doesn't have any sort of defining quality to his play? I don't think so. Is he good enough? Probably not, no. He probably needs a run of games, but I don't think that's going to make much difference to how any of us feel about him. I think he is just not a very good player. Let's just call it what it is. Lowry. Didn't look quite right yesterday. Still looked a bit groggy at times. He had some nice moments, but he couldn't really influence the game at all. Um, Now Murphy, again, you want to blame Luke Murphy and say, you're the captain, you're the experienced player on this team, you should be doing better. He's not capable of doing better. We saw that last season in a better team. There's a reason why he only started 30-odd games, and even then that was 30 too many. He probably only started... Let's remember that he probably started most of those games after Finney's injury. Had Finney stayed fit, it would have probably been Wintle, Lowry and Finney for the rest of the season. Murphy probably wouldn't have played 30 games. You know, he's the captain of your team, but he shouldn't be. He's the captain of the team because he's the only player above... He's only one of of two players above 30 in the whole team. Chris Porter's not going to be the captain because they never expected him to start as many games. Luke Murphy's made the second most starts out of all players this season. <laughs> and, you, and, it, and it's staggering. It's staggering. He's, he's on pace to make more starts this season than he did last season. How does that happen? Well, because the midfield isn't good enough. And he's part of that. But again, that's not his fault. He should never have been signed two years ago in the first place. It's infuriating when you see, as I've mentioned him before, when you see players like Panchute Camera. And other teams with good signings that they made back in July of 2020. It's frustrating to see those players going on and frithing, and yet we're watching Luke Murphy stumble around the pitch. I picked out a few instances from this game that I think highlight the kind of player that Murphy is. Now, the Alex bear in mind are struggling at a set of pieces, and what? And then about 15 minutes in, can't remember. Maybe it's a bit earlier, later, I can't remember. About 15 minutes in, the but they're breaking down the right. Um, it's not a super dangerous moment, the defence have got numbers back, it looks like it's... you. you do, basically, you just let the play carry on and defend the cross. No, what Murphy does, he sticks his foot out and he trips up their guy to give away a free kick about, to, you know, to the right of goal, so it wasn't a shooting chance, but it gives them a chance to put the ball in the box. That's the captain of your team, the one you're expecting to lead by example, making a silly foul unnecessarily to give away a free kick, knowing full well that... The, that's conceded four times from set pieces on Tuesday. On Saturday, sorry. The captain and leader of your team doing that. Brainless. Okay, the, the booking he got was a bit unfortunate. But then let's talk about the next instance incident, sorry. The ball's bouncing on the left hand side of the Alex in the in the Alex's half. Comes to Murphy. He tries to shepherd the he, he tries to buy a foul. He basically flops to the floor. Referee's not having it. Now, most referees will not book diving when it's not in the penalty area. They don't They don't really bother. I don't, can't remember the last time I ever saw someone book for diving in the middle of the pitch. Probably should be. It happens. It doesn't just happen in the penalty area. Teams buy free kicks all the time. And to me, if it's a dive in the penalty area, it's a dive out of the penalty area. Now, a harsher ref could have said, you know what, Murphy, I, I, you've dived there to win that. I'm booking you and sending you off. Again, Captain... Experienced player, leader of the team, doing that. Seriously. And there's another instance later a few minutes later, where the ball's bouncing around the penalty area, he has a chance to just welly it clear and get the pressure relieved. No, he tries to make a pass out to the outside the penalty area, loses it, carries on the pressure carries on. So again, captain and leader of the team. Now you can criticise Luke Murphy, but then some people won't do because he's Alex he's Alex three and three bleeds crew red blah blah blah, but he's fundamentally not a good player, he's just not was he eight years ago or nine years ago whenever he was in the when he was playing well for the Alex, yeah, he was, but now he's not his abilities have long since gone, but again, I, I still think, and I will maintain this to the day, maintain this to this day, I don't think they're using him right. He was never this deep-lying player, this playmaker, this passer of the ball. That was never his job. If you remember back in the promotion-winning team, that was Ashley Westwood's job. Luke Murphy was the one that was getting in on the end of chances, was getting in the penalty basically operating in the Finney role. And that's, to me, where they should have operated him from the start. Now, maybe his legs are gone and maybe his finishing's not quite where it should be. But that's, to me, where Murphy should be playing. In a Finney kind of role, higher up the pitch. Why they'd signed him as this deep-lying, play-breaking midfielder, I have no clue. Again, I'm not saying he'd been a good player in his old role, but that to me should have been, that, that was always his strength, getting forward and scoring goals. So why on earth they have him so deep and not involved in the attacks, I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't get it, I'm sorry. So yeah, Chris murphy fine, yeah, but he shouldn't be in this team. He shouldn't be playing. You can't tell me he should be playing. You just can't. I'm just looking out through the um, stats, and of the 31 games that he started, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, half of them came after Oli Finney got injured, half, he would not have played maybe half, he would have played 20, 25 games had, maybe not even that, had Finney not gotten injured. Potentially had Josh Lunchton not got injured because Arteta was very high on him, remember, last season as well. That, <laughs> he was not in that team last season because he played well. He just wasn't. And now, and now we're suddenly, oh, he's not good enough. Well, yeah, we should have seen that last season. That's not new news. Regan Griffiths, again, whether he's good enough or not, he's played five career starts in the league. Same with Alibiosu, same with a couple of other players. Same with your Williamses, your Sass Davises. These are players that haven't played very much and we're saying, oh, well, these guys aren't good enough. They need to look themselves in the mirror. Yeah, maybe they do in attitude, but quality. How can you expect them to be good performers in League One when they've barely played in League One? Again, the, the front three, Long tried his best, but I'm not a fan of his attitude, Chris Long. I find him a very... He, he comes across as a bit of a selfish mm-hmm. individual, Chris Long. He came off the bench on Saturday, and as, uh, as uh, McGarry and Morse were sort of mentioning about, you know, they didn't want to see any selfish play from these lads who were coming on, or the players on the pitch, they didn't want to see that, because that's that's worrying. That's exactly what he did, within two minutes of coming on, he picked up the ball, 40 yards from goal, and tried to blast it towards goal, and it got blocked. Then, yesterday, I didn't what I didn't like, last night, was when, I think it was Dan Ajay. Broke clear of the wing of midfield. He was running at their back line. And yeah, he should have slipped in long on the right side. Long was wide open. It would have been an easy pass to him. But he didn't. He kept running. Eventually it broke up. It didn't work out. And Long was furious. And I understand the frustration that you know, you want your players to do that. and Some will say, oh, it shows he cares. Uh, I think it shows that he's a bit of a selfish person. Again, look at how many times he's a self-isolated this season. Does that strike you as a man who's vaccinated? I don't think so. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole vax, anti-vax, whatever debate. The fact is, I don't think Chris Long is a very is much of a team player. He doesn't strike me as that. He clearly cares, and he's frustrated. I get that. But he doesn't strike me as very much of a team player. I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading it. Maybe I'm completely misjudging his character, and that's not a fair assumption to make of him. But there's a few instances now, last couple of games, where... He's not really impressed me with his attitude in terms of how he deals with adversity and how he deals with things when the chips are down. I see he tries. He runs around a lot. I'll give him that. And he's the only player in this team that looks like scoring it every week. He has a chance every week, at least, it seems. So I'm not going to be too hard on him, but still. Again, Sambu and uh, Ajay. Couldn't really get into the game, Ajay had probably had the more livelier game, but nothing really going for them either. Yeah, the whole whole thing was just very flat and dull and lifeless, it was. It just looked like a matter of time before Wigan scored, and when they got that first goal you kind of knew that was it. I didn't watch it live, so I can't pretend like I knew that it was going to end in defeat, but you kind of knew when it won 1-0 down, that the Alex weren't coming back into it. And yeah, that, that that was it. Six defeats in a row. <sighs> <sighs> so, what do you make of all this? Then, what do we make of all this? Artel came out and again was positive after the game, and I, I think I think people misunderstand him sometimes as to what he's trying to achieve or what he's trying to say when he makes certain comments. Clearly, he's decided that with a young team, an inexperienced team, team a team that's trying to gel still, ripping them to shreds in the press isn't going to do anything for them. And I do agree with that. I don't believe that either. I don't see um, what lambasting them is going to achieve. So I understand when he says, oh, this was a positive or he's trying to give his... He, he's almost. He's not trying to convince the fans of this. He's trying to convince his players because the fans don't care what he says at this point they, he could say anything and they wouldn't be bothered it wouldn't help them feel any better about him as a manager but clearly the fan, the, the, the players perhaps need to hear this positive messaging more Regan Griffiths seemed to um, say it on, in his press conference on Monday although as I mentioned at the time why is Regan Griffiths doing a press conference 21 years old 4-5 games into his league career and he's doing press conferences seriously That's something that should be reserved for the older players and the older players alone. I want to see Chris Long. I want to see Dave Richards. I want to see Chris Porter. I want to see Luke Murphy. I don't want to see the young lads. It's not for them to face up to this. Yeah, I know media duties need to be shared, but when the chips are down, I want to see the captain out there explaining what the hell's going on. I want to see the 38-year-old, 20-year pro. Let's hear from them about what's going on. What do they think about all this? But anyway, but Artot's got to try and say something to give his players confidence because, and I, I think what people also misunderstand him when he says there's no pressure. It's not that there is no pressure on games; there are pressure on games. But he is right. If things don't go the way you want them to, and you you've put, say, if you put every single thing like you've got to win this game, you've got to win this game, you've got to win this game, you can't lose it, you can't lose it. If you big that up in a player's head so much, if you make this out to be the cup final of cup final games in a league season and it doesn't go their way and they fall to a defeat that can destroy what any confidence they've got if they think oh i didn't perform in this game or the team didn't perform in this game and it was the biggest game of the season and blah 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 blah, blah, then how are you going to get them back up for the next game you can't make every game this big cup final style event It, it doesn't work you can't say this game you can't say the gillingham game was a cup final game it's you've got to win it ah crap you didn't win it right okay plymouth um, Plymouth's the Cup final game. You've got to go and win it. Ah, oh, crap, you didn't. Oh, I could. You can't. You see what I mean? You can't say the same thing over and over and over again. Yes, the pressure's there, and every game you lose is a step closer to relegation. But I think the players know that internally. You can't. When he says there's no pressure from the management, I do actually understand that a little bit. You can't just put all this pressure on them to do well. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but I would say there's a, there's a, a similarity in. Um, When I teach, if I made out like the piece of writing my students did was the most important bit of writing they'll ever do in their lives, they'll put a lot of effort into it, sure. But when they've made mistakes and they don't get a good score, then I, and if I, if that, that will destroy them. Because I've said it's this super important thing, and if you fail it, your life's basically over. Then they're going to crumble if they get it wrong. And you think you can get them back up to do it again next week and say, okay, right, this time it's the most important thing you're ever going to do. It doesn't work. You can't go out there with the same messaging over and over and over again. It doesn't work. You've got to balance it out. Yes, some games are more important than others. Some games you can kind of wash your hands of and say, okay, it's fine. We didn't win that game or we whatever. But I do understand that a little bit. I think fans need to just think a little bit harder about what Altel's saying. Yes, you want to rip him apart for everything he says at the moment. I do understand that. I get that. Same with his comments last night. He was getting the Alex Twitter account was getting ratioed hard um when he said Artel came out and said there's a foundation to build on. Again, to to the fans that sounds ridiculous because six defeats in a row, it's an Olympic defeat, they didn't get a shot on target, it sounds ridiculous to say it like that. But again, he's not saying that for the Alex it's fans. Cause he knows they don't want to hear that. I think he's saying that for his players. It was after the, the way they performed against Plymouth and Accrington, where they barely didn't even, didn't even put any effort in, let's just be honest, it was it was it was it wasn't just quality, it was also effort in that those games. They just they got ran around by Plymouth and Accrington. They just didn't look like they fancied it from the whole game. So I understand what he's trying to say here. He's trying to say that that was a better performance, and it was. Was it anyway near good enough? No, not really. But I understand what he's trying to achieve because if he basically says, "Oh, the shocking, the terrible," they made the same mistakes again. They're completely useless. How are you going to get them up for Portsmouth on Saturday? You can't put lots of pressure and lots of criticism game after game after game because eventually the players will just tune you out. They probably might have done that anyway. But if you keep putting out the same spiel every week, even if it's what the fans want to hear, then you're not going to be able to go into that dressing room at 2.55 on a Saturday or 7.40 on a Tuesday and get them up for the game. It's not going to work. You're going to lose them. I think fans just need to think, step back a little bit. Some fans need to step back a little bit and just think, okay, why is he saying that? What's he trying to achieve by this? Is he just trying to rile the fans up? And is he trying to sound deluded? No, he's not. He's trying to put a positive spin on things, because let's be fair, the club, you know, the players know. They know they've lost six in a row. They know they're probably going to go down. They're probably destroyed as it is. So, if he goes in and then lambasts them and just confirms all what we're, the fans are saying, is that going to make any? Is that going to help? No, it's not. So he has to put he has to put a positive spin on things. and I think that's the right tact to do. Again, there's lots of things you can criticise Artel for, but him coming out and saying there's a foundation to build on, or the only difference was set pieces. Think about why he's saying these things. Think about what he's trying to achieve. And I think it's it, I think when you step back a little bit and look at it, it looks a bit more achievable, a bit more res- understandable. Perhaps it's the same with the goalkeepers. Perhaps that's why he hasn't ripped either of those two keepers apart, because he knows that their confidence is low anyway. What does going in and, and ripping them to shreds in the press going to achieve? Not a lot. So I think people need to, yeah, just take a step back and realise what he's trying to say when he says these things. So, where does that leave the Alex then? Well, that leaves him with six straight defeats, and unless something miraculous happens, Happens in one of the next two. It's two more promotion chasers. It's going to be eight defeats in a row, which I think is on track for their... potentially their worst record ever, potentially. I don't know. I think someone looked at the stats and said it's up to be their worst run in 41 years. Since Dario took over. Back in 83. It was 81, 82, 83, something like that. And that's kind of where we're up to. We're talking about historically bad runs historic this is a historically bad team and how did how did it get to this how did it come to this how did it get to this point where yes losing players hurts it does there's no doubt about that but what on earth happened over the summer and during this season that's made it so bad. Well, it falls on everybody, as I've said before. Yes, the players can take some responsibility, but this is, this is above them for the most part. I do genuinely believe that. It's not that they're blameless. Some of them do definitely deserve blame. Some of the signings that came in and not done anything and were poor from the outset. Some of the sign, some of the players that have been there for a long time, or even a, even a little while, they deserve some blame, for sure. But this falls on the manager. As I've met, say, said many, many times, not all of it, and I'll go on to who else is to blame for that as well, but this falls on the manager. Now, where can you blame the manager? Well, I, I, I mentioned it um a few games ago in, in, the, in the Plymouth review, the five key areas where I genuinely think that Artel has fallen down as a manager, especially this season, and I think the cracks have been been showing for a while. I actually wrote about it um Expecting him to be fired, and it's, it's a piece I've got ready for when he does get fired. I think the warning signs with Artel have been there even during the successful run, even during his early stages. Because remember, the Alex went through two seasons of pretty poor football before things turned around under him. Now, yes, you could say he was clearing out the Steve Davis Deadwood, he was waiting for this new crop to come through, but then remember, he wasn't an immediate success. Remember, in the first season, the first full season he had with the Alex. It was only a few miracle late signings, like Paul Green, like Sean Miller, who helped turn the ship around. And remember, by early February, they were just above the drop zone, and it was only a late run of four, I think it was like eight wins in 14 games, that got them out of the out of danger that season. Eighteen nineteen was just as bad. At least up until the halfway point. Yes, they did improve in the second half of the season and finished twelve. So okay, the signs were starting to show that things were getting better. But think about back to nineteen twenty. With that's a good team that season. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, they were they were a very very good team, no question about it. But I think the cracks were there already. The the lack of plan Bs, the poor substitutions, the like for like subst- like for like changes. There was not really a whole lot of variety in in terms of what Artel was able to do. Yes, he hit on a system, but he wasn't able to find another system. And that's why I think they've looked so clueless this season when they've tried to chop and change things. It's just led to confusion. Yes, some teams are able to keep it the same every week and it doesn't really matter what team they play. Uh, They'll play the same team every week and that's what suits them. But look at last yesterday's opponents, yes, it helps with a better team, of course it does. But look at Wigan. They chop and change between the four three three, the four two three one. Um they really do mix things up. And it works for them. They're looking like they're gonna be in a title race with Rotherham come the end of the season. On Saturday on Saturday, yeah, Saturday against Charlton, they played a three four three. Last night, they played 4-2-3-1. It's a real mix-and-match sort of stuff to get them through games. But the Alex are incapable of that, and that's fine. But the problem is, when you not enough emphasis was done on being able to find players to play the 4-3-3 system over the summer, and I think that's been the biggest problem. Yes, you could say Ramsey and McFadzine were signed as those cover options. Depth, Johnson and B C were already there. They they would be at least the starters of the competition. There was two for each spot at that position, fine. But again, it's that lack, lack of tactical flexibility, knowing how to play a system. And as I said before, the 3-5-2, Artel's never had a clue how to play that system properly. So many teams show how it's done this season alone. And yet he can't seem to see that. So the the poor tactics, the poor subs, these things were there from the start. His iffy signings were there. Look at the amount of centre-backs he's gone through to find a solid centre-back. Remember, he signed Michael Reigns. Complete disaster. Brad Walker, signed as a midfielder, switched him to centre-back straight away. Didn't even give him a chance midfield. Didn't work out. Gone. Ollie Lancashire, not a good signing. He was basically told after one year to get out and get lost. It was only by pure chance with injuries last season that he came back into the team and performed okay. You know, that's that, That's the kind of thing that they're dealing with. Signings that have just not been good enough. Yes, he's hit on a few players like Bowery, like Anine, a few lonies here and there. Paul Green, Nikki Hunt. These guys. They, these guys have come in and done well. Chris Porter, for sure. But there's also been plenty of whiffs as well. So these. This was always on the cards when we got into League One. That he would start missing on signings more because, as we all know, signing players on the Alex's budget, it's hard to find league-one quality players. It can be done, but only with a good scouting network, only with a good coaching setup in place. The Alex knew that this call was coming to its close. They knew it. At the moment Perry NG was sold, they knew, OK, well, this is the start of the end. Ryan Wintle's not signing his contract. Harry Pickering got sold as well. The real time they messed up was last January. They should not have added in the loan window. Anybody. I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to load up, potentially push into the top half in the playoffs. But they were never capable of that. They were beating poor a team, sure, but they never showed any more than any enough quality to go and get promotion or get into the top half. I know what they were thinking. thinking last hurrah with this group, poor decision. I really do genuinely believe that. Poor, poor decision to do that. They didn't let Adabisi play in his spot. They didn't find game time for um, Regan Griffiths. They didn't find game time for Travis Johnson. They didn't find game time for Sass Davis. Why? Why did That was the biggest problem of them all. It was not getting some of these lads a bit more experienced last season when the pressure was off in a mid-table finish... And they might have been a bit better for the forward this season. And again, the signings have been poor. I don't. I don't think Omar Beckles was a good signing. I genuinely don't. He had six good months, but then as the team started to deteriorate, so did his form and play and his attitude. Remember the last time they played at Wigan last season, Given away that stupid penalty and red card. It was like he wanted to get sent off. It genuinely seemed like it's genuinely. Like, I don't want to play today. I'm going to make a stupid challenge. Get myself a red. Early bath done. Easy. And look where he is now. Mid-table in League 2 with Leighton Orient. If he was that good a player, he would have found a League 1 club to sign at. He'd have found a, he'd have signed for Wimbledon or another southern-based team, a Cambridge in Ipswich, someone like that. If he was a good enough player, he would not have signed with the Alex and he wouldn't have signed with Leighton Orient. I know that's near his home, Leyton Stone, I know that that's where he's from. But um, there's enough teams in London that he could have signed with a higher-up team than Lane Orient and he didn't so I don't think he was a good signing either I genuinely don't not when you get six months out of him and you only give him a year and he's off after a year that doesn't count as a good signing for me Donovan Daniels disaster Luke Murphy disaster Offrande Zanzala disaster Mikael Mandron been the only positive player to sign out of that group of four or five sorry players the Lone in January Anthony Evans, disaster. Yeah, he's doing great in League 2. And everyone going. oh, look him doing... Yeah, League 2. League 2. Calm down. He's doing well in League 2. That's... And, and again, we're not even talking about... Oh, look at Bristol Rovers in a promotion push. Mid-table. Again, Let's not get too carried away with Anthony Evans's form <coughs> for Bristol Rovers. Please. Nathan Wood. Yeah, all right. Yeah, he was a solid enough player, but he only played half a dozen times or so. Let's not call him a stunning success. He was a success, but he wasn't exactly a loan that you remember in five, ten years' time. I like, oh, remember when he came in on loan? Not really. Mm-hmm. Signings have been poor. Last summer, as we talked about, again, I, I think, as I've said many, many times, I think you can defend some of the things he did last summer. I think a lot of it made sense. It wasn't the right call, as in it didn't work out, but it made sense to do what they did. They were playing catch-up, and they were still playing catch-up in January when they signed some of these lads. And I don't think any of them looked particularly terrible signings, but I just don't think they are what the Alex needed. They needed something completely different to what they got in jan- this January. But that's the problem, what you got? When you're bringing up experienced players and they're all telling you, no thanks, you left to sign, sa- well, what do I do? Do I not sign anybody? No, I've got to sign youngsters. Great. But I think, again, talent assessment has been one of the big, big problems with Artel, for sure. Externally, he can't find centre-backs. Aside from Michael Nottingham, maybe Nathan Wood if you want to be generous, who has he signed that was expected to come in and start? Even Wood probably wasn't expected to start. Who has he signed that was expected to come in and start and has actually performed well as a free free agent centre-back? None. Nottingham, yeah, on loan was excellent, no doubt about that, and he's proven very capable of that in League One with Accrington this season, and last season, but aside from him, it's been whiff after whiff. Centre forwards, yeah, Chris Porter, John Bowery, maybe to his certain, Mandron as well, but how many wingers has he signed that have been genuinely good? He's just relied on Kirk and Dale. And when he's come to replace them, he replaced them with rookies. So I can't really—you can't even say he's good at identifying wingers because he's not signed a good winger. Daniel Powell wasn't a good signing. He had one, two months of good form, that's in the promotion season. That was it. Central midfielders, aside from Paul Green, who has he signed that's been a difference maker in, in free agency in centre mid? He's relied on and he's relied on Lowry, and relied on Finney. There have been the odd signing, yes, but I think the talent assessment overall has been poor. They've not signed a goalkeeper, and that brings on to internal talent. They've not been able to judge internal talent properly. Will Jaskolainen and Richards, well, I said, Jaskolainen, I think, can justify still being here, because his two-year contract at the end of the promotion season was fair, I think. But Richards can't justify being here, and he shouldn't be here. He shouldn't even be in goal right now, but he is, because that's can't identify keepers properly. can't identify his coaching staff properly why is it the Alex are so poor on set piece? and i know people go oh you can't go after king kenny no i can why is kenny luntz in in part of the coaching setup right why is it the Alex's set pieces are dreadful corners free kicks whatever they're atrocious Most teams I see, when they have a free kick, or a corner, they have one player taking the corner, one that frees up all the other players to be in the box or covering the penalty or whatever. But the Alex teams insist on having two, especially at free kicks. They love having two. Oh, are they going to in swing it? Or are they going to out swing it? Does it matter? Like, what is that? Do you think that's genuinely confusing teams? Like, oh, I thought that guy was going to whip it in in swinging, it, but it's it's an out swinging. It's it, the, Kenny London is surely in charge of all this. He understands what it take, means to take a good cross, a good free kick. But I don't think he... I can't... I don't see it. I don't see his coaching influence impacting on the pitch. Aside from Tommy Lowry, who do they have that's capable of taking set pieces? None. Nobody. Think, think to next season when he's gone. Who's going to step up and take set pieces for the Alex? Who's going to be their free kick taker? And corner taker? Who's capable of delivering a good cross into the box? None. And that's on Kenny Lund. That's that's sorry. That's, where he needs to look at the players he's got and think, okay, have I trained them well enough? Are they good enough? And I think it's a no on both counts. I listen to him in press conferences, and maybe that's not a fair way to judge things, but that's all we've got to go on. He doesn't inspire me as a player, that, as a person, as a coach, That not a person, that's harsh, but as a coach that's able to get his message across to players. I don't believe that. I've not seen anything to, to suggest that he has a good influence. All these weaknesses of Artell's. Where's Kenny Lunt in his ear saying, "Gaffer, do you reckon we should make a change earlier?" Is he actually the the tailor to Artel's cloth, or is he just a yes man? How much influence does he have? And I think that's got to be under the microscope. I'm not saying he doesn't have influence. Maybe he does more than we think. Maybe he's actually the better of the two, of the coaches of, of all, of all of them. he's the best coach. I don't know. But I just look at the evidence and think, doesn't suggest to me that he's pulling his weight. But perhaps that's a little harsh. I don't know. Um, We've already talked at length about Fred Barber. Alex Morris, how much influence does he have? I don't really know. Um, But yeah, the coaching staff and the management, I think, are not good at dealing with internal talent. They've kept players for too long. Lundstrom, Griffiths, Ainley, Finney... These guys should be on the way out in the summer, not signed up to two and three year more deals. It's crazy. And this is the problem the Art's going to have. They're going to try and recruit midfielders next season to improve them, but they're still going to be stuck with four or five players that aren't going anywhere. You're going to be stuck with Magic Gomez, Callum Ainley. Well, maybe not Gomez, but Ainley definitely. Lundstrom definitely. Finney, Griffiths. Gr- F- Finney's got two years left on his deal. Two. Oh, goodness me and then you're trying to make space for players like Joe Robbins to potentially get a shot he scored a hat-trick against Nan- Nantowicz last night but you know is is he going to get much of a chance next season because they also again we need to sign they actually need to sign at least one replacement for a Lowry because they certainly don't have one in this team and without one they're in big trouble they've always had one From 2016 onwards, it was Lowry and Wintle. Before that, you had Westwood, and then for a few years, there was none, and that was the concern. The Alex need one desperately. Ball playing central midfielder, and they don't have one. Unless maybe a wackway could be that, I don't know. But that's a concern, that they don't have one of those. And I can understand why people don't trust Artel to rebuild this team next season, because he's made so many cock-ups... And signings have, and when I say signups cockups, I don't mean that the signings he's made were flat out objectively terrible. Because I don't think anyone called them bad when they first signed, but they have just not worked out. And I think that's on his coaching, it's on his development, and his his inability to coach up outside players. It's not been good enough, and he just doesn't he just doesn't know when to cut the cord on the internal talent. Doesn't know when to say sorry, enough's enough. It's like he, he it's weird. For a manager that sounds pretty cutthroaty. it's almost like he's a bit too sentimental about certain players. Like, oh, they had a good run of form two years ago or six months ago they were good. He doesn't seem to look at the here and now and think, OK, why is Calamaini still going on the pitch? He's not performed well all season. Why on earth is he still getting all this substitute time? And he doesn't it like, it's like he never asks that question to himself. It's like nobody around the club ever asks him, why is Calamaini still starting? Why do you keep bringing him on? Why, have you, why did you give him a two-year contract? who's there to check and balance some of the things that Artel and the coaches do. It doesn't seem like there's much accountability. And this brings me onto the board. I listened to the Real Women podcast from Monday, and they made some very, very good points in there. Mark Birtles especially mentioned being... saying about the Project 250. And he's absolutely right. He's 100% right. The fans bent over backwards to find the funds to help the club get buy out normal Hassel. it was a mammoth effort from all concerned it was a great effort and they got him out and the feel good factor was back normal Hassel's not part of the club great and i know it costs a lot of money to buy him out financially it was a difficult way to leave him out of the club it was it was good but charles grant has disappeared where on earth is he i'm sure he's at games but where is he when you've lost six games in a row and you've lost twenty of thirty-two, you should be hearing from the ma- from the chairman. If you don't want to sack the manager, fine, but you need to be bi- you need to be basically putting out a statement or releasing to the press or having an interview with the press because you can do that. Why well, is there no way of arranging a, a sit down interview with Radio Stoke to talk about your position? It doesn't have to be a statement it doesn't have to be crew likes a backing Dave, manager Dave Artel it doesn't have to be like that because we all know voter confidences don't go down very well and they don't age very well especially but are you telling me that if he rang up Radio Stoke and said I want to come and do an interview they refuse him or if he said if he basically put in the I mean I don't know if he does but if he puts in the um the Alex magazine his thoughts on the situation. I mean, yes, I know that's what the forum's going to be there for, but the forum is still th- two weeks away. They've got four more games, so three more games before they play before that forum. They could be looking at a nine-game losing streak by then. And you think the fans are angry now? The fans will be apoplectic by the time that comes around. And maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. Maybe they'll make a change just before the forum, get the fans' anger died down. Don't think it will, but maybe that's what they're waiting for. Maybe they're waiting until after the Cheltenham game, they'll sack, tell after that, they'll give a new guy, or the interim 10 games to just, get a bit of pride back in the team, perhaps they were just waiting for time, maybe, maybe they think, maybe they think if they do it now, it, the fans will still be angry, and doing it then will reduce some of the anger, I don't know, But the board have got a lot to answer for. I do believe that these guys mean well. And they want what's best for the club. I fully believe that. And they've clearly done a lot of effort off the pitch to improve the marketing, the infrastructure around the club. They've given the scoreboard. They've cleaned the place up. They've put some new TVs in. They've done a lot of stuff that the fans don't see. And probably put a lot of infrastructure work into receive that was perhaps lacking before. I don't think anyone can question that they've put money in and into necessary areas. But you can't expect the fans, after watching 20 defeats out of 32, to to be happy. You can't just sit there and go, oh, look at all this stuff off the pitch. Fans don't pay the money, don't pay 20 quid every week, 20, 25 quid every week to go and look at the new shiny TVs or to sit and marvel at the scoreboard. They want to see the team performing and they want to see the team playing well. I'm sorry... You won't get investment from the fans, Not you can't consistently build a fan base if you're going to go through this cycle every season, every few seasons, where you get a new crop of players come through, they do really well for two years, they all get sold, move on, then you've got three to four years of shit. Fans won't buy into that. They just won't. It's, that's not a sustainable way to build a football club. Because at the end of the day, you look at Dario's run between the late 80s and the mid-2000s. How much of that was struggle? And when I say struggle, I don't mean League One struggle either. I don't mean Championship struggle, sorry. Because I don't count the Championship seasons as struggle, as poor displays. I think everybody knew at the time. Perhaps social media help, the lack of social media helped. I think most fans acknowledged, even at the time, I would hope so anyway, that Championship football was a little bit beyond the Alex in terms of the size of the clubs they were up against. But as the Realm Women podcast rightly pointed out, the club want to tell us that we're League One capable. Yet every time they get, that's the thing, it's a mixed message. One minute they're saying, oh well the club can compete in League One. And the next minute, oh no we haven't got the budget to compete in League One. Well which one is it? If you can compete in League One, then why why is it every time they come up they have one good season then it's shit and then back round to, back down to League Two? It happened in two thousand nine, it happened in two thousand and fifteen sixteen and it's happening again now. And what's stopping it happening again in the future? Say next season they have a mid table finish, the season after the new lads really kick on and do well and and they get a promotion again. Well, what's stopping it being the same in League One next season and then that in three or four seasons' time? Fans don't want a cycle. They want a bit of consistency in their team. And it seems the board, all the way down to the manager, have not got a clue about what to do when there's not a core of academy players leading the way. Where's the scouting network? And maybe that's more on the manager, but where's the support structure around Artel? Who does he answer to? When he's struggling, what did he do? He had to go and speak to Alex Neal. He had to get an external out-of-work manager to help him out. Now maybe the club paid for that. Maybe the club, you know, gave Alex, you know, some fees for his time, you know, for his trouble to come down and go to receive and watch training and all that kind of thing. But they need a full. I'm not saying even a director of football, but a head of recruitment would definitely help. Artel gives him a list of gives gives the head director so head of recruitment a list of players he wants. I need a keeper. I need a centre back. I need a, a winger. I need a striker. Maybe even he gives him a specific type, and the head of recruitment goes out and does that, contacts the player, brings him in. I don't know if that that works or not, but it just seems like Artel has too much to do, and it doesn't seem like he's he, he seems like he's struggling, and and I just don't know what the board are doing to help him out of this situation. What are they doing to help him with his struggles? I don't really know, but it's a concern. And again, I just don't think the fans well accept it much longer it feels like people are fed up They put in. You know, it was one thing when you said "Oh, the club can't compete when Hassel was draining money out of the club but now that apparently good custodians are in charge the fans will definitely not accept this cycle they don't want to see it they don't want two years of good football and four years of dross it's like it's four years of mid-table form either. it's just four years of dross that's what it's shaping up to be we've already had a season of dross this season next season is probably going to be a season of dross Fans are not happy and they won't accept it and you don't you won't get people coming back in. This isn't how you build a fan base. Fan, you know, especially young fans as well. Especially young fans is a is a big one. Think about how the young fans feel right now. They're probably bored out of their minds, probably like, Daddy, I don't want to go anymore. And it's gonna be hard to get them once they've got other interests and they've got other things to do on a Saturday. Oh, look, the club are doing well again. Oh, I'm not bothered. Don't care. I don't care about football anymore. You're losing fans. You are losing fans that won't come and watch them anymore. Even the older ones might sit there and think to themselves, you know what? I'm done. There's other stuff I could do on a Saturday. Once you've lost them, that's it. Yeah, maybe some will come back when the team start winning again and maybe they're just fair-weather fans or maybe they're just, they've just they got a right to be fed up and just walk away when the team is struggling. But this is what's going to help the club survive is a consistent fan base getting in that new generation and the new generation won't sit there and watch poor performances week after week after week. Especially a lot of these young lads who, you know, do they overstep the mark with the flares and do they overstep the mark with um, their actions in grounds? Perhaps if you tell these lads that they're not if if you basically put losing football in front of them and they get to the point where they're so pissed off and angry that they just don't bother going to the games anymore that's a whole generation of fans you're basically turning away and saying yeah we don't need you it, it's not sustainable it's not a sustainable way to build a football club there doesn't seem to be like and again where's the messaging from the board maybe they say the forum's it but where's the messaging from the board about what they feel about the situation. Again, it doesn't have to be a statement, it could just be a sit down radio interview, it could be a sit-down magazine interview. Grant could do a presser on the club website with McGarry in tow. It doesn't have to be um a written statement. But nothing. Blank silence. It's not good enough. Artel, before the season, I had a lot of cash in the bank. Before the season, so did the board, but they're burning through it fast. Fans will not accept silence. They will not accept just wait and see, wait and see. Maybe things are going to be better down the line, but. That's not going to win over fans now you can't convince fans that it'll be good in three or four years time when the structure of the club finally starts to reap rewards and we get more money from revenue from other sources we 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 help train up these academy lads better and we we get them signed to deals and nobody who cares they want to see action now they want to see what you're doing about things today now and we need we, they need to hear something because I can guarantee you if the board don't respond sometime this week or next week. They will hear it loud and clear from the fans on Saturday against Portsmouth and then on Tuesday against Oxford. You will They will hear it loud and clear. And there'll be nowhere for them to hide. We saw the crowd start to turn against in Plymouth and we definitely saw them flip against Accrington. Let's see how it goes if Portsmouth run in a couple of goals on Saturday. Let's see how they react then. Fans are already a bit restless this season across the leagues. Flares, bottles, pitch invasions, protests. This fan base is a pretty placid one as things go. They're not the kind of to have a sit-in protest on the pitch or to throw things on the pitch or anything like that. But let's just see what happens if they lose seven, they lose eight. Because you are basically playing with the patience of a fan base. And it's not infinite. infinite. The goodwill isn't infinite. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how things go, but it's... Do, do they make a statement this week? I, I I doubt it. I really do doubt it. I don't see... Um, what happens? Do they make a change? Do they not? I don't know. I don't, as I said I don't know if a change makes a difference maybe it would but they waited to, as I said before the old board waited too long to sack Steve Davis and they paid the price for it it's unforgivable if this new board given they saw that first hand some of them Grant in particular he was on the board at the time it's unforgivable if they make the same mistake with Artel and if they can't see the writing on the wall is the writing on the wall I think so maybe they don't maybe they think no he can he, we'll, we'll still give him time alright fine But if you get this wrong, you could potentially jeopardise the entire future of the club. You are the custodians now. There's no excuses about normal hassle or money being drained out of the club. There's no excuse. And you think the fans are angry now? Wait until the forum. Wait until next season if they start to struggle then. See how they react. Get that fury and times it by 10. Because losing to Wigan and losing to Bolton and losing to Portsmouth and big teams is one thing. Let's see how they react when you're losing 2-0 to Harrogate or Sutton. Let's see, how you react. Let's see how they react when they're losing to these teams. The excuses are running out quick, especially if they go down, which is almost certain at this point. They can't, you can't hide forever. You've got to overdress this sooner or later. You can't just stick your heads in the sand. Will they? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, they need to step up and soon because the fan base is on the, on the edge of losing its mind. Right, I'll very quickly wrap up League One because I've got other things I need to go and do. Um, Burton, pretty good win for them at home to Bolton, 3-1. See that Bolton kind of just ran out of a little bit of steam after their good win against Oxford. Um, three goals in 20 minutes, good as me. And then late consolation for Dion Charles for Bolton. So a bit of a setback for Bolton. They could still make noise at the top six, but that's going to have to be one of their only defeats of the season. Going forward, it seemed like they had most of the possession and chances. Um, Yeah, they can't let that uh, kind of result happen too many times. And Burton, hey, that's another three points towards their imminent survival. So, good for them. And uh, John Braford scoring twice. The only other game to talk about is Lincoln uh, losing again at home to Doncaster, which means that the Alex are now rock bottom of the league by three points. Wonderful. Yep, Doncaster, fair play to them. Going to scrap out a 1-0 win. Lincoln was their ninth defeat at home this season. Crazy how many they've lost. So that'll uh, do us for today. Um... As I keep saying, any developments from the club, any major developments, and we'll see what happens. I'll maybe jump on again, but if not, I will check back in on Friday with a preview of Portsmouth, and we'll continue the cycle, and hopefully we're not going to be previewing defeat number seven in a row, but at the moment it looks like we might well be doing. So thank you very much for listening once again, and I'll catch you on the next one.